Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go on the Friday edition of the Oakley Show. Topics worthy of discussion. For Pizzaville, pound 3636. Let's introduce the panel and then get right into the fray. Michael Giles, he's been in government for 30 years at the federal, provincial, and municipal levels, and he's joined the Oakley Show. Michael, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to be here. Likewise, John Capobianco, Senior VP, Senior Partner, and National Practice Lead for Public Affairs in Fleischman Hilliard's Toronto office. He likewise logging a lot of years in the trenches at various political levels. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, John. Yourself? Appreciate it. And fine, too. And the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity. St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts, and former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park. Hello, Sherry. Hello, John. Always a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on board. I'm kind of curious. Now, we just finished up with the VP of GM Canada, David Patterson, in response to Jerry Diaz, the head of Unifor, calling for a boycott of GM products made in Mexico coming into this country. He says about 600,000 vehicles. They say it's only 35,000, and uh, you would identify them by their VIN number, the first three uh, letters in the VIN number, but uh, the idea of a boycott at this state, uh, it seems to me that GM is resolute. The plant is closing. They still say they've got a presence in Canada. They've invested heavily, and they'll still be the biggest employer in Durham region. So what is your assessment of this call for a boycott and the fatwa that Diaz is on? We get it. He's a union leader, and he's got, you know, he's got to make the right noise. But is there anything of consequence to this, or is it largely in vain, Michael? Well, I, I mean, regrettably, and I feel, you know, I feel terrible about the whole situation in Oshawa. I feel terrible. But I think, frankly, it is in vain. Uh, there's, you know, Mexico is one of the challenges for Canadian automakers. So is the southern United States, where a lot of these things are going. You know, as a Carlton professor, Ainley, had studied this. And, you know, you find places where the wages are lower, the property tax incentives are there. There's all sorts of, you know, the electricity is cheaper. So, I mean, I think it's just there's a reality to this. And unfortunately, I know I totally respect what Jerry Diaz is doing in the sense that he's standing up for his union members. But, you know, reality is reality. And I think we're sort of getting to the Don Quixote moment where it's, you know, it's just, you know, you're running at windmills. You're not going to change this company's mind. They've made their decision. And I'm not sure that, you know, boycotts of this kind are going to work. I, you know, the, I think this, the, the, the auto sector in Canada is still worth $48 billion a year. So there's an enormous amount of money into this. And GM makes its point. He challenges it that, you know, you're only hurting the, the uh, uniform members and Ingersoll and this kind of stuff. But I think reality is this is done. And I think that, you know, the opportunity is here. Let's try it. If we can't have GM there, which I think is the reality now, we should try to be looking for something else for that plant. Well, all right. And so the collateral damage is the way it was couched by the VP of General Motors because, you know, the parts manufacturers and still the unionized workforce in Ingersoll, so on and so forth, uh, the integrated part, they'd only be shooting themselves in the foot. This is the union. I mean, but coming from the ranks of the NDP, I'm guessing you're simpatico with Mr. Diaz. And, uh, I mean... Well, absolutely. Um, but here's but the problem. He the, I mean, it, here's the problem. The problem started long ago. It, it started actually with the bailout in the Liberal government um, for the the big auto makers, and uh, and and it was a terrible deal. Should they, um, they, not? they they didn't put any job, um, uh, you know, they didn't put any job uh, jobs into that bailout. They didn't put anything about picking up the, the their toys and, and going to another jurisdiction. So uh, so really, they got all that taxpayer money, um, and. 
uh, although they paid back uh, uh, some of that, I mean, saying. this this is going to, of course, cost the economy hugely because these are people who are out of work now. Um, th- and this is going to devastate the community. Okay, I get it. But, you know, you've got 2,600 people, and we're not unsympathetic towards those. But, I mean, this is getting a lot of media attention. And meanwhile, it seems like uh, every other week, 5,000 jobs in the oil patch go missing. I mean, you know, and so uh, a lot of folks are looking at it saying in the broader context of, you know, the 30,000 foot level, I mean, these are industry shape shift and that's just their... uh but governments have a role to play, and they played a role, and it just wasn't a well-thought-out one. I think, uh, you know, certainly uh, one would expect, one would hope, that Mr. Ford would be in there, too, So are governments uh, in the business of picking winners and losers, then? Governments are in, should be in the business. Well, they certainly have. In the past, they do a great deal. Um, they drop tax rates for large corporations. Um, they if you invest in corporations. But this um, is one specific sector. This, yes, but I mean, again, it's a huge one, as Michael said. It's forty. You know, it's it represents. Yeah, but they're not abandoning it outright, uh, as the man from GM said. You know, they still got a very large presence. I mean, let's face it; they're going somewhere where they can get cheap labor. We should all be very concerned about this, I think, um, and and we should be doing some planning, at least some planning. We shouldn't just well, act you, as if okay. you know this is out of our control. Sherry, completely. on the flight of capital mm-hmm. from this country and this province in manufacturing, I mean, there is a real significant drain taking place. Yep. So let me throw it to John then. I mean, is there any firewall that the province or governments can actually put up because capital, again, having no soul or loyalty, it flows to its path of least resistance. Yeah. No, you know what I think on this one, John? I think I, I agree with Sherry on one point, which is I think this problem was long ago happening and, and percolating over the last little while. This GM leaving wasn't just an announced and 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 then just happened within within the day or week or so that it happened. This has been long going. Where I disagree with Sherry uh, respectfully is I think that the federal governments um, and the, gov- the governments that paid the payout, I think they needed to do that. There was no question at the time because it was led by the U.S. and Canada had to follow suit given the, the uh, intricate... You know, uh, d- deals and, and relationship that we have with the U.S., especially when it comes to auto manufacturing. So there was no question that that the Harper government at the time did it and did it right. Uh, and it actually reaped, it, it actually saved the industry, and they paid it back. But I do think this issue, um, unfortunate as it is, I think GM's gone. There's no question that they're gonna, they're not coming back. And I think Jerry Diaz, and again, respectfully to, to him and his, and his members, and he's got to do what he's got to do, but his 15 minutes of fame have turned into 15 months, uh, or he's going to be in 15 months of fame, because he's using this in a, in a big way to... To, to you know beat his chest and, and to do what he does as a union leader but um, instead of a boycotting uh, GM we should be talking about how to bring other alternatives to the GM plant and there's been discussions with other manufacturers let's work on that solution versus trying to boycott GM because I'm not sure that's going to happen All or right. quite frankly will be successful what I, I would mention to you that you know 15 20 years there's 40,000 auto workers were right. working in Oshawa well, so this is a long transformational process and you know to speak to that point is you had 40,000 people the economy absorbed most of those jobs, you know, so there's other jobs created in other sectors, and that's where we sort of have to start looking at. But, you know, 40000 down to 2500 well, obviously You're sort of making ha- the case that he's somewhat of a Luddite. Well, no, I'm just saying that the economy is changing, and unions definitely have a position, and I understand what he's doing. But, you know, we have to be realistic as well. And these companies are not going to change their decisions because, you know, people are yelling boycotts. I mean, I I certainly agree they should be looking at alternatives. But what I was uh, pointing to was the original deal with no job guarantees in it. Um, That that was a bad deal. uh, And that could have helped mitigate this. And and this is, again, where when governments...
government step in. And I, I think the Ontario government and the federal government should be involved in looking at alternatives for that plant. But I don't see them. Well, but, uh, speaking to John's so. point on that, though, when that, those are, those, that bailout, so-called bailout, took place, you had the United States doing the same thing. You had the TAR program in the United States. If Canada had it turned around and said, here's all your stipulations on it, they would have said, no problem, we'll go into you know, Ohio, Illinois, and they have a better deal there. Right. It seems like we're forestalling the inevitable here. They're changing and uh, maybe retrenching so that they can live to fight another day. Now, the other thing is the, the flight of capital. I talked about that. Uh, I want to talk about how in this country, though, we've opened our borders, and uh, some say, you know, this is, again, uh, a signal of great compassion and humanitarianism, but now the story out of Kingston has it that maybe we haven't vetted some of these new arrivals as closely as we should. Justin Trudeau yesterday in New Brunswick talking about anybody who is critical of our migrant system, immigration refugee, uh, is fear-mongering and un-Canadian. And now uh, the early reference to the individuals who have been arrested in Kingston uh, for terror-related activities, two charges here with a youth uh, who can't be named and a 20-year-old, is such that uh, they may have come through the sponsorship program from Syria in 2016. Now, my question, is it fear-mongering to express concern over who Canada is accepting into the country? I mean, the Conservatives have suggested there uh, is a porous border. Southwestern Quebec is uh, indicative of that as much as anything. And uh, to that point, John Capobianco, let me ask you, is it fear-mongering and is Justin Trudeau right to say it's un-Canadian to even draw these things into question? It's not fear-mongering. And this is a problem that I've had, and we've discussed this on this show before and, and certainly in other, in other formats, but, you know, you, you're allowed to express concern and legitimate concern with respect to how our immigration policies are working and not working, and, and especially with respect to the Prime Minister who, it, you know, he, he made an election promise and he ca- carried through with the election promise, so, so good on him for doing that. But for him to be able to say, that anybody who criticizes this or has a question about it, be it a political leader, uh, an opposition leader, or even any Canadian, uh, as he did at a town hall when some, some uh, uh, I believe it was a woman, actually challenged him on that and, and he came out and said that you're a racist, I think is wrong. I think that's the wrong level of discussion we, sh- we should be having about this. We've got leaders, municipally and provincially, who are crying out to the federal government for more money, more funds to ensure that the people that are coming in are being treated well and are being treated right and are getting housing in some cases and, and, and all that. But but I do think, though, John, that there is a problem. We've got a porous border that we need to be stringent on. We need to be protective of us first and foremost, uh, whilst still being compassionate, as Canadians are, and allowing people to come in. All right. So John's expressed his concerns on that front. Sherry, uh, would you at all be concerned that this might get blown out of proportion or uh, used in some ways to... Uh, impugn maybe the broader Muslim community? Because that's a concern being expressed now by some of the church groups that have sponsored Absolutely. families and, coming in. And we are one of those church groups that sponsor refugees and will continue to do so. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of immigrants and refugees are not terrorists. I think you have to say that. And you have to also say, of course, that if somebody, uh, even if it was uh, they were homegrown and Quite frankly, we've had our own homegrown terrorists, uh, you know, who've, who've uh, 
who've been charged as well. So this is not about a refugee situation versus no refugees. This is about what do you do for anyone who acts this way? And and I think to put it back onto, you know, somebody who breaks the law should be prosecuted. But if uh, it's new not arrivals, about their refugee status. Well, but they are new arrivals in the question about uh, having come here from Syria. Uh, look, uh, look the greatest terrorism in the United States, for example, is homegrown terrorism. Well, we're not um, talking you know, about the so, United and, States. And we're here, talking about a, a domestic issue. And, and here too. Um, I mean, I, I, again, well, where are the dem- oh, Okay, hang on. You're talking about the people who were born here. People, who, people are, who are born here. People who are well, yeah. I what mean, about the Via Trail uh, train plot? What about the uh, Toronto 18? These people were not born here. No, but uh, what about the guy who ran the van? Um, you know, we, we could go on. Um, I mean, here's here's the thing. Uh, I think there is a danger, and it's a danger that we've heard uh, coming out of the right, and that is to focus on pointing the finger at, at immigrants and pointing the finger at refugees rather than looking at the issues that we re- really should be uh, looking at and we can't we can't deny that racism is is increasing is that There's, what it is or is it just concern over the border and vetting i mean nobody's um, suggesting i, th- I you think, think it's, it's underscored by racism racism I, informs that bigotry nativism i i think absolutely i mean okay. it's measurably so anti-semitism is on the rise uh, racism is on the rise certainly south of the border and it's creeping up here um we've seen the the, the fight about the niqab etc etc we've we've seen anti-islam uh, uh sentiments on 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 social media, um, and we've seen anti-Semitism. I think we have to we have to be concerned about that. All right. And so, uh, when the Conservatives, for example, and Andrew Shear publishes a, a missive earlier today saying in 2017, an audit of the Canada Border Services Agency reported 39 cases did not receive the necessary security screening, and therefore potential security threats may not have been identified prior to granting admissibility. Michael Giles, do you agree with Sherry that this is informed by racism, bigotry, uh, nativism? Well, I mean, for some people that may be the case. Um, Andrew Shear's, you know, missive today, as you put it, it, it's legitimate. He's the leader of the opposition. His responsibility is to hold the government to account. That's what he's elected for. That's what that position's for. Uh, in this case, in this specific case, I mean, we don't know a lot of details about it. We sort of have a very 30,000 feet view of it. Um, I'd like to know more. Obviously, they're talking about somebody who is, who's 20 years old. Uh, I'm assuming he came here, they said, two and a half years ago. So you're looking at somebody who was 17 when they came here. Listen, there's no question that the security checks and those kinds of things present massive challenges to our, our, our security services and those who are, you know, vetting people. They're, in many cases, they're coming from countries where there is no documentation, where there's, you know, you have a failed state like Syria. How do you possibly... You know, contact, for example, Syrian authorities, not that you would have anyway prior, but, you know, I'm just saying, if, if uh, how do you vet? So you have to, you know, you do your best on these things. Obviously, our police services and our security services were very effective. They caught this person. They, they intercepted this with the help of our allies. Um, having said that, you know, yeah, there is a concern. Yeah, we do the best we can, but you cannot, you know, uh, put this onto every single, you know, people and sort of go more global on this. I mean, I'm Irish. I came from Ireland. We, I came here in the 1970s. If you put that, you know, thing on there, you would have been saying, well, you better not let them in because they're blowing up buildings look, in London. Look, but my point is, when you got the prime minister yesterday, he says immigration is going to be one of these hot button issues during the election campaign. And anybody who uh, raises the specter of maybe uh, security issues or problems and vetting is fear mongering and un-Canadian. Un-Canadian was the word he used. I mean, I think that's extreme, isn't it? Well, I would, I would have to agree in the sense, and it's also not politically very smart, because if you have a lot of people 
people out there who may be sitting there and maybe having concerns, and you, th- you hear him basically classify you as on Canadian or whatever else, you know, you're gonna you're gonna start distancing yourself from him. So politically, it's not a smart thing to do. People have a right. To, that's, you know, the one thing that you know, you know, you know, Trump and all these other things is this whole shutdown of discourse. Everyone has a right to speak on these things. Everybody's you know view, as long as it's not obviously hateful or anything else, is valid. Let's have these discussions. That's how democratic societies function. And right. that's how, and that's why I think the prime minister's weak spot is going to be in this election year. John is going to be around that whole narrative about about sort of you know brother knows best, or you know in, in this whole issue of lecturing and and this kind of stuff. And this is yet another example of the prime minister basically saying, if you don't agree with me, then you're on the wrong side of it. And I think that's going to hurt him. It's possible he misspoke. I mean, our ambassador to China certainly did. I want to get your thoughts on that in a moment. Let's come back. More topics worthy of discussion with John Capobianco, the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, and Michael Giles in a moment on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 